0: chapter 5 of education this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by k hand education by ellen g white illustrations the education of israel the lord alone did lead him he instructed him he kept him as the apple of his eye the system of education established in Eden centered in the family. Adam was the son of God, and it was from their father that the children of the highest received instruction. Theirs, in the truest sense, was a family school. In the divine plan of education, as adapted to man's condition after the fall, Christ stands as the representative of the Father, the connecting link between God and man. He is the great teacher of mankind, and He ordained that men and women should be His representatives the family was the school and the parents were the teachers the education centering in the family was that which prevailed in the days of the patriarchs for the schools thus established god provided the conditions most favorable for the development of character the people who were under his direction still pursued the plan of life that he had appointed in the beginning those who departed from god built for themselves cities and congregating in them gloried in the splendor, the luxury, and the vice that make the cities of today the world's pride and its curse. But the men who held fast God's principles of life dwelt among the fields and hills. They were tillers of the soil and keepers of flocks and herds, and in this free, independent life with its opportunities for labor and study and meditation they learned of God and taught their children of his works and ways. This was the method of education that God desired to establish in Israel. But when brought out of Egypt, there were among the Israelites few prepared to be workers together with him in the training of their children. The parents themselves needed instruction and discipline. Victims of lifelong slavery, they were ignorant, untrained, degraded. They had little knowledge of God, and little faith in him. They were confused by false teaching, and corrupted by their long contact with heathenism. God desired to lift them to a higher moral level, and to this end he sought to give them a knowledge of himself. In his dealings with the wanderers in the desert in all their marchings to and fro in their exposure to hunger thirst and weariness in their peril from heathen foes and in the manifestation of his providence for their relief god was seeking to strengthen their faith by revealing to them the power that was continually working for their good and having taught them to trust in his love and power it was his purpose to set before them in the precepts of his law the standard of character to which through his grace he desired them to attain Precious were the lessons taught to Israel during their sojourn at Sinai. This was a period of special training for the inheritance of Canaan, and their surroundings here were favorable for the accomplishing of God's purpose. On the summit of Sinai, overshadowing the plain where the people spread their tents, rested the pillar of cloud which had been the guide of their journey. A pillar of fire by night, it assured them of the divine protection, and when they were locked in slumber, the bread of heaven fell gently upon the encampment on every hand, vast rugged heights in their solemn grandeur, spoke of eternal endurance and majesty. Man was made to feel his ignorance and weakness in the presence of him who hath weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Here, by the manifestation of his glory, God sought to impress Israel with the holiness of his character and requirements, and the exceeding guilt of transgression. But the people were slow to learn this lesson accustomed as they had been in egypt to material representations of the deity and these of the most degrading nature it was difficult for them to conceive of the existence or the character of the unseen one in pity for their weakness god gave them a symbol of his presence let them make me a sanctuary he said that i may dwell among them In the building of the sanctuary as a dwelling place for God, Moses was directed to make all things according to the pattern of the things in the heavens. God called him into the mount, and revealed to him the heavenly things, and in their similitude the tabernacle, with all that pertained to it, was fashioned. So to Israel, whom he desired to make his dwelling place, he revealed his glorious ideal of character. The pattern was shown them in the mount, when the law was given from Sinai, and when God passed by before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. But this ideal they were in themselves powerless to attain. The revelation at Sinai could only impress them with their need and helplessness. Another lesson, the tabernacle, through its service of sacrifice was to teach, the lesson of pardon of sin and power through the Savior for obedience unto life through christ was to be fulfilled the purpose of which the tabernacle was a symbol that glorious building its walls of glistening gold reflecting in rainbow hues the curtain enwrought with cherubim the fragrance of ever burning incense pervading all the priests robed in spotless white and in the deep mystery of the inner place above the mercy seat between the figures of the bowed worshiping angels the glory of the holiest in all god desired his people to read his purpose for the human soul It was the same purpose long afterwards set forth by the apostle Paul speaking by the Holy Spirit know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the temple and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you if any man defile the temple of God him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy which temple ye are great was the privilege and honor granted Israel in the preparation of the sanctuary and great was also the responsibility a structure of surpassing splendor demanding for its construction the most costly material and the highest artistic skill was to be erected in the wilderness by a people just escaped from slavery it seemed a stupendous task but he who had given the plan of the building stood pledged to cooperate with the builders the lord spake unto moses saying see i have called by name bezaleel the son of uri the son of hur of the tribe of judah And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, and in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. And I, behold, have given with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of they that are wise-hearted I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee. What an industrial school was that in the wilderness, having for its instructors Christ and his angels! In the preparation of the sanctuary and in its furnishing all the people were to cooperate. There was labor for brain and hand. A great variety of material was required, and all were invited to contribute as their own hearts prompted. Thus, in labor and in giving they were taught to cooperate with God and with one another, and they were to cooperate also in the preparation of the spiritual building, God's temple in the soul. From the outset of the journey from Egypt, lessons had been given for their training and discipline. Even before they left Egypt, a temporary organization had been effected, and the people were arranged in companies under appointed leaders. At Sinai, the arrangements for organization were completed. The order so strikingly displayed in all the works of God was manifest in the Hebrew economy. God was the center of authority and government. Moses, as his representative, was to administer the laws in his name. Then came the council of seventy, then the priests and the princes, under these, captains over thousands, and captains over hundreds, and captains over fifties, and captains over tens, and lastly, officers appointed for special duties. The camp was arranged in exact order, the tabernacle, the abiding place of God in the midst, and around it the tents of the priests and the Levites. Outside of these, each tribe encamped beside its own standard. Thoroughgoing sanitary regulations were enforced. These were enjoined on the people, not only as necessary to health, but as the condition of retaining among them the presence of the Holy One. By divine authority Moses declared to them, The Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp, to deliver thee, therefore shall thy camp be holy. The education of the Israelites included all their habits of life. Everything that concerned their well-being was the subject of divine solicitude, and came within the province of divine law. Even in providing their food God sought their highest good. The manner with which he fed them in the wilderness was of a nature to promote physical, mental, and moral strength. Though so many of them rebelled against the restriction of their diet, and longed to return to the days when they said, We sat by the flesh-plots, and when we did eat bread to the full. Yet the wisdom of God's choice for them was vindicated in a manner they could not gainsay. Notwithstanding the hardships of their wilderness life, there was not a feeble one in all their tribes. In all their journeyings the art containing the law of God was to lead the way. The place of their encampment was indicated by the descent of the pillar of cloud. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When it lifted, they pursued their journey. Both the halt and the departure were marked by a solemn invocation. It came to pass, when the ark set forward, that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the mighty thousands of Israel. As the people journeyed through the wilderness, many precious lessons were fixed in their minds by means of song. At their deliverance from Pharaoh's army, the whole host of Israel had joined in the song of triumph. Far over the desert and sea rang the joyous refrain, and the mountains re-echoed the accents of praise, Sing ye to Jehovah, for he hath triumphed gloriously. Often on the journey was this song repeated, cheering the hearts and kindling the faith of the pilgrim travelers the commandments as given from sinai with promises of god's favor and records of his wonderful works for their deliverance were by divine direction expressed in song and were chanted to the sound of instrumental music the people keeping step as their voices united in praise thus their thoughts were uplifted from the trials and difficulties of the way the restless turbulent spirit was soothed and calmed the principles of truth were implanted in the memory and faith was strengthened concert of action taught order and unity and the people were brought into closer touch with god and with one another of the dealing of god with israel during the forty years of wilderness wandering moses declared as a man chasteneth his son so the lord thy god chasteneth thee to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no he found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness he led them about he instructed him he kept him as the apple of his eye as an eagle stirreth up her nest fluttereth over her young spreadeth abroad her wings taketh them beareth them on her wings so the lord alone did lead him and there was no strange god with him he remembered his holy promise and abraham his servant and he brought forth his people with joy and his chosen with gladness and gave them the lands of the heathen and they inherited the labor of the people that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws God surrounded Israel with every facility, gave them every privilege that would make them an honor to his name and a blessing to the surrounding nations. If they would walk in the ways of obedience, he promised to make them high above all nations which he hath made, in praise and in name and in honor. All people of the earth, he said, shall hear that thou art called by the name of Jehovah, and they shall be afraid of thee. The nations which shall hear all these statutes shall say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people in the laws committed to israel explicit instruction was given concerning education to moses at sinai god revealed himself as merciful and gracious long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth these principles embodied in his law the fathers and mothers in israel were to teach to their children Moses by divine direction declared to them, These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Not as a dry theory were these things to be taught. Those who would impart truth must themselves practice its principles. Only by reflecting the character of God and the uprightness, nobility, and unselfishness of their own lives can they impress others true education is not the forcing of instruction on an unready and unreceptive mind the mental powers must be awakened the interest aroused for this god's method of teaching is provided he who created the mind and ordained its laws provided for its development in accordance with them in the home and the sanctuary through the things of nature and of art in labor and in festivity in sacred building and memorial stone by methods and rites and symbols unnumbered God gave to Israel lessons illustrating his principles and preserving the memory of his wonderful works. Then as an inquiry was made, the instruction given impressed mind and heart. In the arrangement for the education of the chosen people it is made manifest that a life centered in God is a life of completeness. Every want he has implanted he provides to satisfy. Every faculty imparted he seeks to develop. The author of all beauty, himself a lover of the beautiful, God provided to gratify in his children the love of beauty. He made provision also for their social needs, for the kindly and helpful associations that do so much to cultivate sympathy and to brighten and sweeten life. As a means of education, an important place was filled by the Feast of Israel. In ordinary life, the family was both a school and a church, the parents being the instructors in secular and in religious lines. But three times a year, seasons were appointed for social intercourse and worship first at shiloh and afterward at jerusalem these gatherings were held only the fathers and sons were required to be present but none desired to forego the opportunities of the feasts and so far as possible all the household were in attendance and with them as sharers of their hospitality were the stranger the levite and the poor the journey to jerusalem in the simple patriarchal style amidst the beauty of the springtime the richness of midsummer or the ripened glory of autumn was a delight With offerings of gratitude they came, from the man of white hairs to the little child, to meet with God in his holy habitation. As they journeyed, the experiences of the past, the story that both old and young still loved so well, were recounted to the Hebrew children. The songs that had cheered the wilderness wandering were sung. God's commandments were chanted, and bound up with the blessed influences of nature and of kindly human association, they were forever fixed in the memory of many a child in youth the ceremonies witnessed at jerusalem in connection with the paschal service the night assembly the men with their girded loins shoes on feet and staff in hand the hasty meal the lamb the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs and in the solemn silence the rehearsal of the story of the sprinkled blood the death-dealing angel and the grand march from the land of bondage all were of a nature to stir the imagination and impress the heart the feast of tabernacles or harvest festival with its offerings from orchard and field weak encampment in the leafy booths its social reunions the sacred memorial service and the generous hospitality to god's workers the levites of the sanctuary and to his children the strangers and the poor uplifted all minds in gratitude to him who had crowned the year with his goodness and whose paths dropped fatness by the devout in israel fully a month of every year was occupied in this way it was a period free from care and labor and almost wholly devoted in the truest sense to the purposes of education in apportioning the inheritance of his people it was god's purpose to teach them and through them the people of after generations correct principles concerning the ownership of the land the land of canaan was divided among the whole people the levites only as ministers of the sanctuary being accepted though one might for a season dispose of his possession he could not barter away the inheritance of his children when able to do so he was at liberty at any time to redeem it debts were remitted every seventh year and in the fiftieth or year of jubilee all landed property reverted to the original owner thus every family was secured in its possession and a safeguard was afforded against the extremes either of wealth or of poverty by the distribution of land among the people god provided for them as for the dwellers of eden the occupation most favorable to development the care of plants and animals a further provision for education was the suspension of agricultural labor ever seventh year, the land lying fallow, and its spontaneous products being left to the poor. Thus was given opportunity for more extended study, for social intercourse and worship, for the, and for the exercises of benevolence so often crowded out by life's cares and labors. Were the principles of God's laws regarding the distribution of property carried out in the world today, how different would be the condition of the people? An observance of these principles would prevent the terrible evils that in all ages have resulted from the oppression of the poor by the rich, and the hatred of the rich by the poor. While it might hinder the amassing of great wealth, it would tend to prevent the ignorance and degradation of tens of thousands whose ill-paid servitude is required for the building up of the colossal fortunes. It would aid in bringing a peaceful solution of problems that now threaten to fill the world with anarchy and bloodshed. The consecration to God of a tithe of all increase, whether of the orchard and harvest field, the flocks and herds, or the labor brain or hand, the devotion of a second tithe for the relief of the poor and other benevolent uses, tended to keep fresh before the people the truth of God's ownership of all, and of their opportunity to be channels of his blessings. It was a training adapted to kill out all narrowing selfishness, and to cultivate breadth and nobility of character. A knowledge of god fellowship with him in study and in labor likeness to him in character were to be the source the means and the aims of israel's education the education imparted by god to the parents and by them to be given to their children end of chapter five